Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. Let's say good morning. Morning, wake up. Wake up. Welcome, New Brunswick and Nutley. Glad you guys are joining us, uh, too. I'll start today. Pat, you're here. I'll start with a fun story today. You may have heard of the burglar who broke into the home, and as he's snooping through the living room, he hears a voice, be careful, Jesus is watching. Strange, keeps uh, throwing stuff in his sack, and he hears again, be careful, Jesus is watching. So he turns with a flashlight, and he sees it's a parrot in a cage. He says, oh, I get it, your name must be Jesus. And he says, no, my name is Moses. He says, well, what kind of people named their parrot Moses? He says, the same kind of people who named their pit bull Jesus. It's a nice, hey, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm Pastor Tim. If uh, I haven't had a chance to meet you, I have a pit bull, and uh, we're glad you're here as we uh, learn really uh, what it means to follow Jesus. This is a series we're calling Follower, and this series is all about DTR, defining the relationship, defining your relationship specifically with Jesus. Last week, I asked you kind of a decisive question, are you a fan Or are you a follower of Christ? Um, We discovered last week there's a big difference between the two. Uh, On Facebook, you guys know this, a fan is a friend who likes you or admires you. Maybe that's you. You're like, I like coming to church. I like this idea of Jesus. But a follower or what the Bible calls a disciple, somebody who is committed to actually following in the footsteps of Christ, is very different. Because this is about a casual relationship, whereas this relationship is about commitment. And um, I asked, which, which, where are you along that continuum? And I appreciate this. Last week, some of you gave me very, very honest feedback. I spoke to uh, one guy in the lobby, and he said, uh, here's the deal, Tim. I'm just coming back to church, haven't been to church in a while. And he said, honestly, I would put myself on fan status right now. He said, that, that's where I'm at. I'm more of a fan. Um, I'm, that's why I'm here at Liquid. I want to find out more about Jesus. Um, but I, it's mainly on Sundays for me at this point. Monday through Friday, I have no idea what that means to follow Christ. And so I was like, perfect. He goes, are you going to talk about that? I said, yes. And that's actually what it means to be a follower. You're a student. You're a learning. You're learning what it means to follow Christ. I appreciate that honesty. So if you're here, you're kicking the tires. Awesome. Perfect place to be. But then someone else said to me, actually, I was very, I didn't like the message. That's how they said it. And I always appreciate that. Feedback. Thank you for the encouragement. Uh, they said, no, they said it was kind of unsettling. They said, because I have been to church my whole life. I was saved at seven Went to, you know, VBS, I I did, you know, I've led Bible studies, worked with a youth group, all that kind of stuff, he said. And my question, it made me ask the question, have I just been going through the motions, though? Like, he said, you know, this past week, or this past year, it's kind of like this complacency has set in my walk with Christ. Uh, He's got young kids, job change, all of that. He said, I don't really feel that passion or that commitment anymore. And here's the deal. This series is not trying to get you to second-guess your faith, okay? I'm not trying to get you to question your salvation, But I am asking you to take a real serious look at your relationship with God. Because in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus himself said these words. He said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day. So he's talking about judgment day. And people will say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy or preach in your name? And in your name, we drove out demons. In your name, we we performed miracles. And Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, I never what? I never knew you. Away from me, 
you evildoers. And that's a challenging statement by Jesus. I was caught by that this week because he's basically saying when we all stand before God, there will be a lot of people who said, I was absolutely your follower. He's going to say, no, you were actually a fan. Wait, wait a minute. I used all the language. Lord, Lord, I did all sorts of things. He, look at the spiritually impressive things, right? The guy, they're like, I performed exorcisms. I have never done an exorcism. <laughs> I performed miracles, all these impressive things. And Jesus says, I never knew you. And that's like, whoa. If I talk like a believer, if I sort of act like a believer, and Jesus still can say, I never knew you, that to me raises the question, what does it mean to know God, to really know God and be known by God? What's that look like in real life? That's what I want to look at this morning. So let's do this. Take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 7, all right? We'll look at the 36th verse. In Luke 7, we're looking all through the Gospels, and Jesus has these DTR conversations with people where he's calling them to a deeper level of commitment. And uh, hopefully this passage is going to be familiar to, to you because our entire congregation here at Liquid Church, we've been reading through the New Testament over 40 days. By now, you should be done with the Gospel of Luke. How Quick show of hands, how many of you have been following along our 40-day Bible challenge? Oh, look at this. Oh, man, we're going to have a revival. People reading the Word of God. This is amazing. I'm serious. I love it. I'm like, this is going to come alive. Uh, we have over 3,000 people now who are reading the entire New Testament cover to cover through Easter. And uh, if, you, if, if you're just new, you can hop on board. Just go to 40daybiblechallenge.com. You can download the resources. Just join us. But we're going to look at Luke 7 today, which is something hopefully you, you've just read. And it records this provocative encounter that Jesus has with church leaders. Have you noticed there's a tension he has with church leaders? Yeah, some of you are like, Jesus is rude, man. He just like, he sticks his finger in the eye every chance he gets of the Pharisees. And, and he's always like, he's like, you know, he's calling them like, you're a brood of vipers. You're a nest of snakes. You're like whitewashed tombs. I, I was struck this week, there, at one point, an expert in the law pulls him over and says, Master, you know when you say these things, you insult us. <laughs> like, maybe you aren't aware. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, I know. You're twice the son of hell as they are. And he's like, whoa. It's like, it's a wonder church leaders crucified Jesus. That's who killed Jesus, religious people consorting with the, with the government. And um, that's the key here, okay? Jesus is going to provoke you. He's going to say things that make you uncomfortable. If you really wrestle with who Jesus is and what he said, it's not like, you know, meek and mild Jesus kind of thing. Um, he's going to seem rude, and, and here's the deal. It, I, I want you to let that make you uncomfortable. Let it unsettle you. Let it convict you and actually say, Lord, what are you saying to my heart? What, what, how are you challenging me? What's it reveal about my own walk with God? Because Jesus said offensive things. He did provocative things, but no one was ready for what happens here in Luke 7 because this is when he attends a dinner party with a religious leader. There's this uninvited guest. Let's look at this. Uh, Luke chapter 7, we'll start at verse 36. It says this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a what? A sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is what? She is a sinner. That's how church people talk. She's a sinner, okay? Just pause there, because this is basically about a church potluck that goes off the rails, right? Uh, If you don't like the idea of having a dinner party with church people, okay, you're in good company. Jesus didn't like it either. 
But this is the setting for another DTR encounter where Jesus challenges two different people to define their relationship with him. Are they his fan or are they a follower? On the one hand, you have the Pharisee, right? Who's actually, his name was Simon. You see it there later in the text. And on the other, a prostitute who we don't know her name. She just, she's kind of anonymous. Look at verse 37. It just says she's a well-known sinner in that town. It just meant she's probably a prostitute in that village. Uh, the Greek translates to hoochie mama. That's, in, that's just, I went to seminary. But the reality is this is a known woman who's lived a very promiscuous life. So you have a Pharisee and a prostitute both having dinner with Jesus, okay? And only one is invited, obviously, Simon the Pharisee. But then she crashes the party in probably what's a very awkward moment because this is like the Pope having brunch with, you know, the president. And all of a sudden, you know, Nicki Minaj shows up. Hey, you know, it's like, what is this? It's it's a breach of protocol. And there's actually a lot of breaches of etiquette. Jesus, for instance, is not treated very well. Here's the deal. If you're having a dinner party, uh, you know, nowadays, maybe you bring a bottle of wine, you shake the hand, you know, the host's hand or something. That's not how it was in the first century. In Jesus's day, if you went to dinner with somebody and they were, you were the guest, you were invited, they first had to give you a kiss on the cheek or the hand when you walked in. If they ignored you, it's an insult. And Jesus is ignored at first. And then you would actually say, I'm going to wash your feet. That was mandatory. You know how we wash our hands before meals? They didn't do that. They washed feet because you walked everywhere and dusty and, and all that. And, and you would actually recline at the table like this. You'd kind of lay back like this. And they'd wash your feet when you walked in. And if you were really a VIP guest, they would anoint your head with oil, okay, with olive oil. And so when Jesus arrives at Simon's house, he would have expected this greeting, because it's ba- but he's basically ignored. The, the Pharisee, in, he invites Jesus and then basically ignores him because he's interested in what Jesus has to teach, as most fans are. But it's out of a sense of religious duty. I should hear what he has to say. That a desire to honestly know him. And so he invites Jesus to this public reception and ignores and insults him. And don't miss this irony here. Because as a Pharisee, Simon had spent 12 years of his life memorizing the first 12 books of the Bible. He would have had literally the word of God committed word for word. And by the time he's 15 years old, the entire, all the prophets of the, of the Old Testament he would have had, 300 prophecies about what the coming Messiah or Savior would be like. And yet, Jesus is sitting at the table and he doesn't even recognize the Savior in front of him. So in other words, he knew all about Jesus, but didn't personally know Jesus. There's a distinction here. See, fans tend to confuse information about Jesus for intimacy with Jesus. We get this confused at church all the time because we host you know, we have Bible studies, right? We host classes, you fill in an outline while I'm talking, and it's all about knowledge about God, which is important, but it's not the same. Acquiring information about Christ is not the same as being intimate with Christ. Fans are interested in Jesus, but followers push through to actually be intimate with him. Now, the best biblical word we have for intimacy is the word to know, to biblically know somebody. And the first time this appears is in Genesis chapter 4. For instance, you probably know this. It says, first man and woman, Adam knew his wife Eve. And the Hebrew word for know here, ready for your Hebrew lesson, is the word yada. Can we say yada? Yada. Can you say yada, yada? Yada, yada, right? It literally means to know somebody inside and out. You have a complete knowledge of them in an intimate way. Now, you'll get this, right? The NIV translates it, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. 
yada, yada, okay? Hubba, hubba, all right? He knew her. That's what it means biblically to know somebody, okay? You know, I, I married my wife. I got to know the girl, yada, yada. Now we got kids, okay? Now, this is going to sound strange to some of you. Maybe weird, weird you a little bit, but just follow with me. If you trace the use of this word yada throughout the Bible, you will see it used over and over again to describe God's relationship with us. In fact, this is the way that God already knows you. Whether you know God or not, this is how he knows you. In Psalm 139, David um, uses this word yada half a dozen times to describe how God knows us. Look at what he says. He says, oh Lord, you've examined my heart and you what? You know, you yada everything about me. You know me inside and out. You yada when I sit down or stand up. You yada my thoughts when I'm far away. You know I'm thinking before it's on the tip of my tongue. It's like married couples, right? You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You yada everything I do. You know, you yada, what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. Now think about this. The same word, the same connection used to describe how a man knows his wife is used to describe how God knows you and wants to be known by you. I only have really one human person in my life that I yada, my wife, Colleen. And part of the proof of our intimacy together is that I know certain things about her. I know, you know, what kind of sushi she likes, right? Volcano roll. I got it. I know. Okay. I know what type of shampoo she uses. It's not the kind with the conditioner. It's with the detangler because I'm going to have to go back to CVS so I get the right one the first time. I yada her. I know when her neck gets blotchy, it means she's nervous. Okay. I know things about her. And my, that, that's proof that we're intimate, right? We got married. When we got married, I moved from fan. I was interested to follow her. We are now intimate. She can't get rid of me, okay? We got kids. It's, it's over. Here's my point. That didn't sound good. <laughs> if you're, but if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. All right. Here in Luke 7, the Pharisee knows all about Jesus, but he doesn't yada Jesus. He doesn't know Christ. He, he was interested, but his heart was far from God. Now compare that with the prostitute, She had known a lot of men, yada, yada, for real, okay? And evidently she hears Jesus teaching in her village and something happens inside of her heart because maybe for the first time she saw something different in this guy. For once a man didn't want something from her, but said, I actually have something to give you. Maybe it's the first time she actually felt unconditional acceptance. Love, not lost, love. Maybe for the first time she thought God could actually forgive her and put the broken pieces of her life back together. We don't know. Maybe it was the way Jesus just looked at her, right? Maybe, maybe he just communicated to her and the way that he looked at her said, you have value and you have worth in God's eyes. Apart from anything you've done, I see you as a daughter of God, not just a sinner the way the others see you. Whatever happened, make no mistake, there's a voice in her head at this point saying, maybe even though everyone else has given up on me, maybe it's not too late. Maybe even someone like me can be a follower of Jesus. Now imagine this, because she's desperate to see him, and so she actually sneaks into the dinner party. She's not invited, not in a million years. And she probably felt all the condemning stares, all the judgment of the Pharisees. Church people are like that. So she steered clear her whole life, these people. But this feels different, because she wants to know Jesus, know him, to touch him. And so she sneaks into the center of this courtyard, and what she does next, it's reckless, it's risky, it's, it's very vulnerable. She 
lets down her hair. And you got to picture this, okay? Here's the deal. Women. In those days, women always wore their hair up in public. In fact, for a woman to let down her hair in front of a man who wasn't her husband was considered grounds for divorce. Why? Because it was an invitation to intimacy. I'm letting my hair down. I want to yada. I want to get to know you, yada, yada. This reminded me of that scene in the Shawshank Redemption. You guys remember this? This is, you guys remember this? Where the inmates, they're watching this movie with Rita Hayworth in it. And the part that gets the inmates all riled up is when Rita Hayworth lets down her hair. Here she comes. This is the part I really like, just when she does it. Oh, yeah, I know. I've seen it three times this month. Uh, Gilda, are you decent? Me? Ah, yes. Me? Me? She lets that. We, 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 that's what it means. To let down your hair means, hey, we even say this, right? Hey, dude, you can be yourself. You can let down your hair, okay? You're, you're in safe company. When we want to be intimate with a trusted friend, someone we're willing to be vulnerable with, and actually let them see warts and all, let our cracks show, we say, you can, dude, just chill out. It's just us. It's cash. You can let down your hair. So this is an invitation to intimacy. Jesus, could I actually just be who I am in front of you? With all of my sexual brokenness, there's no actual sexual charge here with Jesus. In fact, it's the opposite. There's tenderness. There's, there's sorrow. I want you to imagine her inching up to Jesus' feet and everyone else like, what is she doing? What's she doing here? What is everybody? And then she looks at Jesus and says, you can touch me. Go ahead. In the Old Testament, if you approach the mountain of God and even set foot near it, you are struck dead instantly. And here in the New Testament, Jesus says, I am God in the flesh, and even a whore like you can touch me. Because your sin is not contagious, but my holiness is, and I'm about to change your life. No man had ever made that invitation to look at her without judgment, without manipulation, just love and grace and forgiveness, and she starts weeping. Imagine this. It would be awkward, right, if someone came forward right now crying and then knelt here, and started washing my filthy feet with her hair, there would be this audible, <gasps> she's letting down her hair. And she says, go ahead, because this is a beautiful thing. A broken person coming to me and letting her hair down and expecting not my judgment, but my radical love for her. It's risky, it's reckless, it's vulnerable, and it's exactly the kind of follower that Jesus wants. See, God knows you already. You may not know him today. I get that. But he already knows you, and he's like, I want to be known by you like that. I want followers who will let down their hair and just be honest with me about the brokenness of their lives and actually trust that my grace and mercy are greater than their guilt and shame. You may be here this morning. You may feel like guilt and shame for things you've done in the past. But do you know Jesus, and does he know you this way? Because this is how the Bible defines salvation, guys. I know everyone says eternal life equals forever and ever and ever in heaven. You know how the Bible defines eternal life? Look at this. Now, this is eternal life that they what? What's the word? Know you, yada you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What's the difference between being a fan and a follower? Yada, yada, yada. There's a knowing that happens 
when you let your hair down in front of Jesus, you actually admit your sin, and you actually open your heart to his forgiveness and love, that can't happen any other way. The Pharisee's interested, but his pride keeps him at arm's length. But the prostitute is intimate, and her brokenness that spills over allows her to actually draw close to Christ. So here's the question you have to ask yourself this morning. Ready? Who are you in this story right now? Do you identify more with the Pharisee or the prostitute? I mean, when was the last time you shared a moment with Jesus in worship like this woman had, where you actually let your hair down or you cried before God because, because you just poured yourself out before him? I'm not asking if you read the Bible or do you know about Jesus. I'm asking, do you know Jesus that way? Does he know you with all your faults and your flaws and your sin and your mistakes, open for inspection at the Savior's feet, expecting to receive grace and mercy, not more guilt and shame? Which do you identify with today? If I'm honest with you, I see a little bit of, of both of these in my own life. I can be a major Pharisee. I know, I know it doesn't always seem like that, but when I, when I get around like church people or we go out for dinner, I can be a total judger, you know? Like you look at all the bad stuff happening in the world, and I can point my finger at all the, oh, the sinners, oh, it's the atheists, oh, it's the, you know, liberals, whatever. You know, hit them with a few verses, whatever. I can be a judger, major league, like anybody else. But in my private moments, honestly, I know I, know I don't measure up. There are broken pieces of my life all over the place. In my family history, there, there's, there's been uh, divorce, depression, infertility, addiction. In my own marriage, there's gaps in relationships and inconsistencies. And given the right conditions, I can be as big a Jesus jerk as the next guy, okay? I can forget God and other people in the drop of a hat. I'm a mix. Maybe you are too. So the question is, how, how can you be known by God like that? Actually allow Jesus' love to meet and then mend these broken pieces of your life. Well, this morning I have a friend who I would like to have him share his personal story with you. Dan, you want to come on up here? Would you guys welcome Dan Bove up here? He's actually, thanks Dan. Dan is actually the leader of uh, several life groups at Liquid, and he's someone I know now is certainly a sincere follower of Christ, but it wasn't always that way. Is that true, Dan? Tim, that is absolutely true. Um, Although, for all appearances sake, it would have looked that way. Uh, I had a perfect family, a great wife, three beautiful kids, career, house, toys, all of the things, yeah. vacations, everything. Um, but, uh, and also, you know, went to church every Sunday, sat in the front row, wore a suit to church, the whole deal, was even elected a trustee in my church. So you, by all appearances, you're, you're a man of God. You're wearing the suit, you're sitting in the front pew, uh, every, reading the Bible, but you were kind of actually leaving a double life. What was happening? That was absolutely true. Uh, my life was a mess. When I was about 12 years old, my parents divorced, and that trauma uh, set me into a path of sin and darkness um, that just kept spiraling and spiraling and spiraling. I lusted after all the things that men lust after in life. In fact, Tim, um, 35 years after that event, I found myself in a rehab facility for sex addiction. Rehab. Rehab. I, I know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, because looking at a guy like you, successful corporate guy, suit and tie, the whole thing. I'm like, Dan Bove in rehab? That's, that's hard for me to believe. <laughs> I didn't believe it either, but uh, it was absolutely the best thing that ever happened. And I have absolutely no shame about it, uh, just like the woman in the yeah. story. Um, anytime that you can bring your stuff, your sin to the feet of Jesus, mm-hmm. it is the greatest thing that you can do. Tell us what that experience was like, because you enter rehab having known about Jesus for a long time. 
I did, uh, and it was a lot like the woman uh, in the story, although not the hair part. The, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the tears were, um, were, were, were a big part of it, Tim. Um, for 35 years, for those 35 years that I was trapped in sin, I had no emotion, very little emotion. I don't remember crying ever during that time. My mother died, my father died, other things happened in life, but I never cried. Uh, in the uh, rehab facility, I heard a song called The Tin Man. I won't go into the story, but it's about finding your heart. And I fell to the floor and I cried for an hour and a half, just like this woman uh, cried. And I thought those were tears of pain, but actually they were tears of joy because I had been set free. Um, and three days later, I turned my life over to the Lord. And that very same day, it was like he took the top of my head off. Uh, and for three days, sin just streamed out of my body. I could just feel it flowing out of my body. And then for the next two weeks or three weeks, every night when I went to bed, I could feel scraping within me. He was going in and getting wow. every last Wow. Thing. Incredible. So that was, that was, is that the moment where you would say you moved from fan to follower of Christ? It was. That was my yada moment. Yeah. yeah. This is kind of cool because, you know, a lot of people think that the invitation to follow Christ is, okay, he forgives your sins and forgives your past and that's it. But that's not it because the whole idea here is that God redeems your past meaning he uses the brokenness that you've experienced to bring hope and freedom to others. And that's what he's been doing with Dan's life. Dan leads uh, several groups here at Liquid Church, particularly that minister to men who are struggling either with sexual addiction or other issues. Tell us about those groups you lead. Yeah, Tim, we have four groups now going on. And in those groups, uh, the men get together. And we, um, we have a place where we can put our hearts on the table, where we can talk about life, where we can expose the things that are going on in our life and where we can um, uh, just kind of encourage each other and offer each other hope and godly love as we journey through life trying to be men who are living godly lives and, uh, and Christ-centered lives. And it's dealing with all sorts of issues, correct, all over the spectrum? Yes, we're all over the spectrum from the sex things to anger to broken relationships, yeah. anything that any, any kind of hurt that any man might have. Awesome. Last question for you, Dan. Why do you think a lot of guys confuse, or at least they're so scared of that word intimacy? As guys, we're like, ah, I don't know about that, what, from your perspective. I think, you know, Tim, our culture defines um, um, intimacy, you know, ultimately as sex. Mm -hmm. And that's not, you know, and I certainly um, would have thought that way at one time. Yeah. But what happened for me is that, you know, and, and, and you see this in, in the story, uh, intimacy begins when you have truth with God. You know, for me, that was uh, receiving his forgiveness. Even yeah. though he knew me, yeah. he forgave me. When he forgave me, I could then like myself. Yeah. I could then love myself, love others. Yeah. And once I could love others, that's when I could experience intimacy. Powerful. Can we thank Dan Bove for sharing his story and your leadership, Dan? Thanks, brother. Grateful for your leadership, man. Awesome. Praise God, you know, for, for men and women like Dan um, in our church, because that's what our church is full of. And let's just be honest, um, intimacy is intimidating, okay? It is, especially for men, right? We're taught to keep up appearances, act like we have it all together, sit in the front row, a suit and tie, all the whole thing. Um, G.K. Chesterton uh, once said, um, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Love that quote. Because the idea here is that behind sexual sin or brokenness, is a deep cry of the heart for the kind of love and acceptance that only Jesus can provide. 
This is why throughout the Gospels, you're going to see this over and over and over again. Church people repelled from Jesus, broken people, sinners magnetically drawn to him because they sense something, that his grace is greater than their guilt or their shame. And that's what intimacy requires, guys. It is trust that in the wake of your biggest failure or your most shameful sin, that God won't condemn you, but will forgive you instead. That your greatest sin will be met with an even greater love, the blood of Christ that covers and cleanses us from sin. I want you to think about this. In Jesus' eyes, a sex addict has a better chance of knowing God than a seminary graduate. Is that scandalous to you? Because it scandalizes the people watching Jesus. After she washes his feet with her tears, look what Simon says. It says, when the Pharisees invite him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he'd know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. He's like, Jesus clearly doesn't know what she's done. And Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Notice he called him teacher. You're not my Lord and Savior. He's my teacher. I'll learn something moral, but not give my life. He says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. It was just a day's wages, right? 500 versus 50. It says, neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Interesting question, interesting parable. And Simon replied, I suppose the one who who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman, and he said to Simon, you see this woman? I came into your house You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on them. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been, what's the word? Forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, let's read this together. Your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, whoa, who is this who forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's how the church of Jesus started, my friends. With prostitutes and addicts and hustlers and whores and tax cheats and all of them sensing that if they were honest enough and bold enough to get before Jesus and spill out their their life at his feet, that he wouldn't condemn them to death like their sins deserve, but would say, I'm giving you forgiveness and eternal life. That as they took that invitation to intimacy, they could let down their hair, pour out their pain, and actually be embraced by the only one who could forgive and then heal the broken parts of their lives. Brokenness is beautiful, amen? Knowing God, not yada God, with that kind of love, as one who's been radically forgiven day by day, What was that like for that woman to hear those words? She never heard them in her life. Your sins are forgiven. I am wiping your debt clean. Your past, your present, your future, it's all gone. It transformed her. It set her free. You can tell because of the jar of perfume that she carries. See, as a prostitute, that little flask she carried was very important. She would use a drop at a time for each customer with every man that she'd been with, just a drop, drop, drop. But here before Jesus, what does she do? She breaks it open and empties it all out. It's gone. She pours the whole thing on Jesus' feet. Why? Because she's not going to be needing it anymore. See, now that she's been intimate with Christ, now that Jesus yadas her, she says, all I need is Jesus. I don't need that life anymore. And she's set free of her past. And she's ready to follow Jesus into a new future, living forgiven. That's what the gospel is, guys. That's what's happening in this text. 
It's transformation of a human heart by Jesus. And so my question is, have you experienced that? Do you know what it's like to be known, completely known by God that way? Just pour out your sin and your brokenness and feel the warmth of the embrace and forgiveness of God. I realize you could maybe here, you know, today at one of our campuses, a friend invited you, and you walked in here thinking, well, God could never forgive me for fill in the blank, for that abortion or that divorce or, or, or cheating or that addiction that got me in trouble this weekend, last night. Oh, you know what Christ says to you? Come follow me. Let me cleanse you. I died to pay for all that junk, and I am canceling your debt. I'm going to give you a new life. Or maybe you're here today, and you're like the Pharisee, and you're like, well, my life is nothing like that. I'm a moral person. I sit in the front row. I try to do the right thing and actually please God. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? I realize other people need him. You're making the same mistake that Simon made. You're judging yourself against a brother or sister instead of God himself. See, Jesus says we all owe a debt to God. It doesn't matter if it's 50 or 5,000. We've all fallen short, and therefore someone has to pay that debt. And Jesus does on the cross. Christ paid for all of your sins personally on that cross. It's called grace. It's God's radical love when you didn't even deserve it. <laughs> and he takes that, and we get his righteousness. That's how you're made right with God, guys. Jesus died for both of these guys. For the proud Pharisee and the poor prostitute, the, the religious and the reckless, Christ died for you. And when that reality, guys, touches you, not just here, but it touches you here on a personal level, then you will know Christ intimately. And you can offer him all of you, yada, yada, yada. You'll be free to love him. Because those who have been forgiven much love much. The bigger the debt, the bigger the love. What's it take to know God? To become a follower of Jesus, you got to let your hair down. you gotta, you got to pour it all out at Jesus' feet and believe brokenness is beautiful in God's sight. And God's grace is greater than your guilt or your shame. So if you walked in today, this is a moment for you. <laughs> this is a moment for you. You may be like, I could never follow Jesus. You know who can follow Jesus in this room? Anyone. Jesus isn't looking for church people who live a perfect life. He accepts anyone with a past, a sexual past, anyone, recently divorced, anyone, alcoholic, addict, anyone, backslidden Catholic, anyone, skeptical Jew, anyone, hypocritical preacher, anyone, anyone means everyone. But all you need to do is admit your need and have the faith that God's mercy and forgiveness in Christ is greater than your guilt and shame. So let's just have an honest moment right now at all our campuses. You just bow your heads. Bow your head. Talk to God yourself. I'm going to clear some space for you. Father, we're taking a moment now just to clear our heart because I feel like the Holy Spirit has stirred things up right now. I can sense it in people. And Father, we're just coming clean and we're admitting our sin and our brokenness before you. We're bringing it to the cross of Jesus Christ, to your feet, God, for, for healing. this is a moment for you that you've never made that decision to follow Christ, I'm going to invite you to do that right now. I'm going to invite you to do that today. I was going to wait till the end of the series, but I'm like, these people need to follow Jesus today. And following Jesus is as easy as ABC. The first is just means admit your sin. <laughs> I realize sin is not a popular 
you know, word, but it's reality in this broken world. Your Father in heaven created you for perfection, but we've fallen short of that. We're part of the problem. And the Bible says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in it. Salvation begins by admitting your sin and then believing in Jesus. On that cross, Christ dealt with sin once and for all by dying as a substitute in your place out of love. And he will forgive you. He will forgive you if you put your faith in him. The Bible says to all who received him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Some of you are going to be born again. You're going to enter the family of God this morning. And then you're going to commit to follow Christ with your whole heart. This is not a one-time decision I'm asking you for. It's a whole heart commitment you're deciding today to live the rest of your life for the glory of God. That's why Jesus was resurrected. He said, I want to live my life through you right now. And you're like, I can't do that in my own power. He's going to give you his Holy Spirit in your heart. That's the commitment you're making today. To follow Jesus Christ, you're going to have to let go of some things to take hold of other things. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit and you're going to have the love and support of this church. We're going to welcome you into the family of God. Those are the very simple steps of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. So that's why I'm going to ask you right now to make that commitment. If you're here today, you've never done that, you want to settle it once and for all, I want to pray for you this morning. If you have felt God speaking to you, don't ignore it. Don't quench, that's the Holy Spirit. In fact, if that's you, you want to make that commitment to follow Jesus Christ. Would you just raise your hand right now so I can pray for you? Just raise your hand so I can pray for you. Praise God. Look at that. Just keep your hand up. Praise God for you. All these people coming to Jesus, totally safe at his feet. Praise God. God bless you. Would you do this? Would you? Just, I don't mean to make this awkward, but let's just do this. Would you join me? Just stand where you are, those of you who raised your hand. Stand where you are. It's okay. We're not ju- there's no judgment here. Look at this. You're sta- stand with me. Yeah. We're coming to the foot of Jesus Christ right now to receive him as your Savior once and for all. You can just pray with me. Just bow our heads. You can just pray with me and pray out loud. Father, I admit my sin, and I now believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Forgive my sin and come into my heart. I commit to following you. Please give me your spirit so I can live for you all my days. Father God, right now, we just ask your Holy Spirit to be palpable and fully present on these men and women who are born again into the family of God. Praise Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you. Lord, let them know right now inside their past is gone. Their future is here and it begins now. In Jesus' name, all God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.